Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we've just watched Cold Weather. Yes. On movie, again. Yes. We're doing a, we're having a, a movie. A, 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 a movie week. Love affair. <laughs> um, it's from 2010. It's uh, an American movie. It's mumblecore. It's mystery. It's a little bit crimey, but it's it's um, it's a little bit kooky. Yes. Because of the mumble, quirky. Quirky. Because the mumblecore sort of aspect to yes. it. It's um, written and directed by Aaron Katz. Whom I've never heard of. Nor I. Um, and stars Chris Lankenau, um as this guy Doug, who. Uh, so it's mumble cause so they're, they're kind of they're white people they're in the Pacific Northwest they're in the twenties thirties they're kind of a little bit aimless yeah. in life and uh, it kind of, underemployed yeah so this guy Doug has dropped out of uh, college or university in from, Chicago yeah for, and he was studying forensic science and criminology um, he moves back home moves in with his sister Gail who's played by uh, Trias Kelly Dunn. Uh, and he gets a job sort of doing nights at a, an ice-making factory. Mm. There's this whole thing about... I never even thought about where ice came from. But, well, they buy it. You can buy it in bags. Yes. And, he, and it's his job to put it in bags and move it around. That's what yes. he starts spending his time doing. Um, he makes a friend there. Yes. Um, Raul Castillo. Raul Castillo, who plays Carlos. Yes, whom um, I, I love. Yeah, you recognise. I didn't. Yes, I recognise him from looking, the television series in which, you know, he played the boyfriend of the protagonist or you know it's about this gay protagonist uh, played by my god someone very famous who's a Broadway star and was in Hamilton he was the original George in Hamilton Jonathan Groff yeah so he was in, in Mindhunter that's right so he was Jonathan Groff's love interest uh, and he was very good in that as well uh, they all were actually Jonathan Groff was fantastic um so and I thought he was great in this. Yeah, I like the relationship the two of them have. Mm. I, I think they they play off each other really nicely. And in fact, I think I think the relationships are the best thing about this. The brother sister yes. relationship is equally uh, sort of charming, yes, and entertaining, I, and and well observed. Yes, um, I think it's a film about those observations because uh, above everything, it becomes a thriller. It becomes this thriller about um, Doug's ex girlfriend, who you, who you meet earlier on, and she spends some time with them. Uh, her name is Rachel. She's played by Robin Raikoon. Um But then she she's supposed to be going on a date with uh, Carlos. Yes. And she doesn't turn up. And he gets very, very worried. And this this they start to become amateur detectives. Yes, they've been the, reading Sherlock Holmes. There's a thing about how Doug loves Sherlock Holmes. He gets Carlos into it. And then they start becoming sort of Sherlock Holmes. And um, I think that... In a way, I would have liked, actually, if... I, w- I would have enjoyed this film had it not had any thriller element, you know? I would have enjoyed yes. this film had it been about the four of them, I think. Yes. Because those scenes early on where they're spending time together are really, really enjoyable. They're lovely, yes. And they, 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 you can see them bonding and getting on, and the conversations are interesting and funny and well-observed. And it's not like laugh-out-loud funny, but it's just... It's, there's something really nice it's about kind spending of time with them. Gently rollicking, yeah, kind of... I, I, I was charmed, I think, is my word for it, really. Yeah. I think I think that I think it's directed really well. I think um, I'm I'm well, I'm not sure about that actually. I think I think I think the actors are directed very well. And actually, I was just reading in the wiki entry 
saying something that the the screenplay was very tightly structured, but that the actors wrote their own dialogue. Yeah, that's that tends to be that's a kind of uh, a, a trait of a lot of mumblecore films. Is yes, but this one ostensibly extremely so in the sense that uh, um, they well uh, at least the lead protagonist. What's his name again? Uh, Chris Lankinow. Yeah, he got a, a co-screen right yeah uh, play credit. And you can tell, I mean, you know, to me, the film is like, to me, the best things about the film were, as you say, the relationships, yeah, the kind of, you know, um, how well observed the relationships between the friends and then the brother and sister are. Uh, and I also loved the whole way it was lit, yeah? So kind of, you know, you were saying, oh, it's natural light, but you have to capture that natural light. Mm. You have to film it and you have to know how to film it. You know, and I think it looks it looks surprisingly beautiful, which a lot of these mumblecore films don't. Um, what I really intensely disliked about it was um, the music. I thought the score was awful, right? And it kind of it's oppressively used. It, it plays over far too loudly on bits, and it's yeah, to the I mean, point of distraction. Yes, it's kind of you know sometimes the dialogue feels like it's under the music, mm. right? Um, and I just, I just don't like the sounds of it. I mean, I like what it's trying to do, you know, because it's, it's kind of creating this rollicking, dun, 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 yeah, like a, a, you know, a fun kind of gate to the film. Mm. But then it's also overladen with this industrial sound, which is oppressive. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did. I didn't mind the actual. I didn't mind the composition of the soundtrack. I must say, I, I, I kind of liked because they become this sort of, you know, amateur. Sort of brother sister detective team, and when the music's playing over that, it kind of has that same sort of amateuristic feel. Well, I like the beat of it, but I actually hated the production of it. Mm. Yeah, um, it it sounded too industrial, too clangy, uh, um, and 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 I found it oppressive. Um, I also felt that there were sometimes camera movements that I just didn't get. Right, that are just there for their own sake. So there was this very slow zoom on, I think it, it was the brother and sister over the bridge, mm. um, you know, and kind of you think, why are we seeing this in this way? What is it signifying? I just didn't get it. And it's, it's a really long, long, long zoom. And then finally you get very close up to the protagonist. And I think it's his sister. It might be his ex. Um, no, it's the brother and sister. It's the, the brother and sister. Yeah. You know, there's the waterfall rolling behind them, and then it cuts too abruptly. So actually, it cuts to something else. Yeah. yeah. So I just I don't get that. I I know, I know what you mean. Uh, when I said it's well directed, I knew that's what you'd say in response. But and I and I agree that there are one or two shots like that that I think are unmotivated. Yes. Um, but I I think the direction is you know it's it's more about it's more than shot selection as you said the direction of the actors is very good. I think it's also about timing and atmosphere I think the, the tone that the director sets is really precise and strong yes and, I, and just right I would agree with that and it's it's very um, it's it's gently pleasing the film has a gentleness of tone actually yeah you know even though you know kind of it is a detective story <laughs> uh, yeah. but it's kind of like a you know it's it's almost like a quotidian detective story it's something that could happen in the everyday 
you know, and the it's everyday... believable, isn't it? Yeah, and the everyday is well observed, right? Um, it's believable in that you could sort of... It's, it's like you go, if if your friend was missing, what would I do? Mm. And you kind of go, I, I might behave like these guys. Except, <laughs> you know, when the film began, I thought, oh, fuck, no. It's one of those films, right? Like, it's one of those films about these sado Americans bored to death, having nothing to do, you know, and kind of the film making you watch, you know, their, their particular particularities, really. You know, as if somehow every little odd thing is meant to be like riveting and fascinating, which I just don't find them to be. You know, so I kind of, you know, in the first 10 minutes of this film, I, I, it had to convince me, really. Mm. You know, so, and it won me over. I was really charmed by it. And I think, um, you know, your, your observation that it's because, you know, of the maintenance of this tone throughout. Um, which is supported by the the pacing of the film, the rhythms, but also the actors. I think to me that's its greatest strength. And also, um, I loved seeing Portland. <laughs> yeah, you, you know? identified the, the Pacific Northwest right away. Yeah, you didn't say this is in Portland, I don't think, but you you said, "Was oh, this the Pacific Northwest?" And I double checked for you. Yes, and it was. Yeah. And actually, I think you know one of the things, one of the things that I love about. A particular kind of independent cinema. Well, actually, no. It's one of the things that I like about cinema, but that you get much less than you think. Is just the ability to see a different, a different place, yeah. right? You know, like um, who's the director who did Mud? I can't remember. Shall okay, let's it? look him up. Yeah, because um, he does this very precisely. Um, you love Mud. I love Mud, and I love the, that director. Jeff Nichols. Jeff Nichols. Jeff Nichols, uh, his early films uh, were all set in, um, I forget what the place, Arkansas, yeah? Yeah, it's where he's from. It's where he's from. And you get a a real sense of place in his films, right? You have these silos and rivers and wheat, you know, and, and, you know, countryside. And the closer the camera looks, the more you see that the iron is corrugated or things are slightly falling apart, right? So there's this combination of, like, the beauty of the place and then, you know, the kind of... Um, the, 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 the deterioration of the infrastructure around it, you know, and, and you get a feel for the place, right? And it's, it's lovely to learn about a new place and what it is and what it looks like. And this is the kind of thing that you get in American independent cinema that you almost never get in Hollywood, Right? Hollywood is either New York, L.A., or even when it's set in Kansas, it's like you'll have like three scenes of some street in Kansas and then it'll all be studio shot anyway, right? Mm. So to, to, you know, to be able to get, a, I mean, a sense of like a place like this film offers, I think is also a, a real achievement and for, me, and for me a real pleasure to see. Mm. <laughs> I think in the um, when it when it starts to become a uh, sort of mystery thriller, there's one thing that annoyed me, which is a it's a it's a plot niggle really. It's the code that um, Rachel uses yes. that that they then decode, and it's to do with the baseball years, and then the the, the names of the players that the stats relate to spells out "Meet Me Here." Um, spoilers. <laughs> um, uh, I, 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 because 
I don't know. There was just a, I, I thought I thought she wouldn't make that code, and I don't think he'd decode it either. There was just, that just completely took me out of the movie for a second. You know when they were it's doing interesting that. Despite that's... the fact that following following people solving the mystery is good fun. It's interesting because that's the kind of question we would only ask of a film with this tone. I mean, you'd never ask that of any of the Sherlock Holmes films, which are equally ridiculous. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. I mean, pretty much everything that happens, certainly in the new series of Sherlock, the, the BBC series that's been going on for eight years, whatever, I basically don't believe anything that happens in that. Well, and I don't believe anything that happens in the Robert Downey Jr. films, <laughs> if you're kind of yeah. you know, trying to be realistic about it. So, I, I just... I don't think it's... I mean, you know, I let it... I just accepted it because, you know, he is meant to be a forensic scientist and, you know, to have been trained in certain things. Well, and maybe you he see would him, solve it, but I don't think she would create it. I don't think it's a thing that would come to mind to her to build a code out of, you know? Well, maybe. But, you know, we know that... I mean, we see him in the library reading books on how to decode, right? Yeah. So, I mean, which is more information than any of the yeah, other okay. Sherlock Holmes films give you. Um... What I didn't like was, you know, this is really a small-scale film about, what, four at most five characters. Yeah? Yeah, four. I mean, who's the fifth? Well, the villain. Mm. Yeah, which you, bar- you barely see. It's, he's like a shadowy figure. Yeah. So it pissed me off at the end that they didn't bring the characters into the picture. Oh, no, I, you mean right at the end when they're sat up on top of the uh, multi-story car park yeah. waiting for them to arrive? Yes. No, that's exactly how I expected it to end. I, I, I well, I didn't like that. Because I, I think ultimately, you're right, it's about the four characters, but fundamentally the brother and sister. And then. Well, no, that's not true. I mean, I thought, you know, for much of the film it's about the two guys, right? And then the ex-girlfriend comes into the picture. You know, the, the sister really doesn't get much to do until the very end. Not the very end. I mean, she's brought until into the, the end. She's brought into the investigation. Okay, until she's brought into the until that moment where he says, "Can I borrow your car?" No, or you know, wait until I finish my shower, right? So you know, until that's the stuff that's really valuable. You know, that's the stuff that's like it's not about the solving the crime or whatever. It's about the arguments about who's going to drive the car. Well, that's true, you know? and I like all of that, but I do think structurally the other two characters are left out of the film at the end. Yeah. You know, and for me, that's a problem. They should, okay. I think they should have been brought back in. I mean, there's, there's so few of them. I don't see why they, they wouldn't. It also leaves the question of, well, what's going to happen to his ex now? Well, yeah, but I mean, yeah. would you want a sequel? No, I don't want a sequel, <laughs> but I want some kind of, at least an imaginary resolution, right? Because, you know, the thing right now, what is the assumption, yeah, that... She's going to give the money back. If she gives the money back, they'll know that she got someone to get it. Um, you know, she's someone who's still in danger at, by the end of the film, really. No, I know what you mean. I do. So, I can see why you have a problem with it, but I didn't. I must say, felt comfortable. It felt like the right way to end it. Right. But concentrating back on those two because he starts off with those two at the dinner with the parents, and it's all about them sort of living together and trying to cope and. It ends up with the two of them being comfortable seeing their memories of their mixtape. Yes. I like all of that, but I still think... I still think... They're left out. Yeah, I still think it's not a very good movie. I mean, (laughs) you know... Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, despite Uh, the fact I've actually just... I've said positive things. Yes. Basically all the way through. No, I mean, I don't... 
it, it is a good movie, but I think it's a movie that it caught me in exactly the right mood. Yes. You know, there's a mood in which I could have watched this and I would have absolutely hated it. I, I, I was fearful. Really good. But, you know, I mean, to be fair, I was charmed by it. Um, I'm sorry that these films only get to us through movie. You know, I think there would have been an audience for this type of film at the electric, even if it's just, you know, s- some students. And I kind of, I'm a bit resentful that... We don't know that it wasn't shown at the electric. It, it's, I suppose that's true. It <laughs> might have been shown for a night or two and we yeah. just missed it. Right. Um, so, so I'm very glad I saw it, uh, finally. Uh, the film is 2010, so I'm seeing it like 10 years after it came out. Mm-hmm. But I also don't feel I've missed out on a major moment or a major talent or no you know, no no. Uh, so yeah, it's um, a it's a kind of it's a curiosity. Yeah, it's got, film, and, yes, as opposed to one of the things this isn't this isn't a structuring defining moment of yeah, and it isn't a lost masterpiece either. No, but it's a very charming um, uh, watch. Uh, uh, um, it it did kind of win me over at the end. Mm. Yeah, one I, I was I was fearful because I I think maybe even more than you, I was kind of thinking, ugh, American indie. <laughs> 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 you know, like, I, I, uh, that he thanks Noah Bornback in the credits. Uh, I was like, well, but um, um, but no, it, it, and and I was surprised at how much I liked it despite the fact that, because that nothing was happening. Like it spends this, it it takes these shots and it just lingers on. You know your main character just reading a book and it sits there for five, six seconds longer than it might otherwise within doing nothing but reading the book still and things like that. And it's the kind of thing that I think if I weren't in the right mood or if it were a different film, I would have been, I had no tolerance for. But in this, I just went in with the world it was creating and the people it was showing me and talking about. I'm very glad that we saw it because, I mean, just thinking out loud now, it's the type of work... That's so much about about tone and attitude, yeah? And there really isn't a place for it in cinema any longer, right? And actually, there's never been much of a place for it on television. You know, this is too slow-moving and too observational, you know, t- for television, really. Yeah, so, so it's a kind of work, you know, that you only get through indie cinema, yeah? Mm. So, um, yeah. Jim Jarmusch would be maybe like your biggest example. Well, and Hal Hartley and people like that, right? Though I think Hal Hartley is more successful at kind of, you know, creating the type of quirkiness and mm. tone and, cre- and, and creating a richness out of it because, you know, in Hal Hartley's films, kind of underneath the attitude, there's always kind of things going on, you know. Whereas I think kind of this is, to me, too surfacey. Mm. Um, I, saw, I, I apropos of nothing I saw Jim Jarmusch's latest film while you were away yes. this reminded me of it I'd forgotten it completely <laughs> The Dead Don't Die it's called uh, and it, I, it wasn't very good no no I I mean I I, I mean talk about superficial like this at least has characters I love this last one the Patterson Patterson yeah well, I quite like Patterson yeah we, well, I, I think we talked about it I was hoping it. for an awful lot more yes. from The Dead Don't Die and it's yes no it's not very good um but actually, Patterson is a good comparison to this because it is so much about kind of the tone, yeah. you know, and the attitude and the characters, yeah. So, um... Actually, you know what, let me just quickly re- 
change what I said. The Dead Don't Die isn't bad, it's just terrible at the end. Up until then, it builds a really nice kind of picture of a tiny little town uh-huh. and all these little people in it, and, and it's about zombies coming right. up, and, and then how this tiny little town, like Bill Murray plays the cop, and um, Adam Driver's his uh, sort of uh, uh, whatever partner, and you've got all these people, and you know, they, they do build this lovely little world of all these people interacting and like a couple of people come come through town and then find the place a little bit weird and kooky and they're, they're sort of town people, you know, they're sort of city people. So that's all very nice and actually the reason that I've taken against it so much is because it just spends it all so badly at the end, it just pisses it all away. Right. And that's such a terrible third act. That's the problem. Oh. So watch two thirds of it. <laughs> Interesting how that bothers you in that film, but I have a similar reservation about this film mm. that I think the ending is kind of spoils it. What well, does it spoil it? Because you know what happens between the brother and sister is quite charming, mm. I think. Um, but to leave out, you know, the only other two people in the film out of the ending is yeah. to me sloppy. You know. That's fair enough. Um, so. Anyway, um, it's called Cold... <laughs> it's called Cold Weather. Cold Weather. And it's on movie for the following 23 days, so by the time this comes out, you'll have three weeks left to watch it. Yeah, and, um, you know, just of the three films we've seen, you know, my favourite has been O Fantasma, and then... Uh, um, Border. Border, and this is you know, my least favorite so far. Uh, but actually, again, you know, just a sign of how well curated I think movie is because, you know, I'm very glad I saw this. So. Yeah, and it's still interesting and offers something. Yes. Um, so, uh, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on... SoundCloud, iTunes and YouTube, uh, Facebook and Twitter and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com Excellent. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye.